1: Right now we are being joined by one of the most important veteran service organizations out there because I say that because I should say (laughs) they are working with a group of veterans who need the most help. They are disabled American veterans. And if there's one group of our brothers and sisters in arms who we want to make sure we're taking care of, it's those wounded warriors who come home a little bit different than they left. Not just them, but also their caregivers. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We have Mr. Dave Riley, former National Commander of Disabled American Veterans, as well as Adrian Atizado, who is a Persian Gulf War veteran. I believe a fellow Navy man like myself, the Deputy National Legislative Director of DAV. So, Dave, Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. (laughs) this is gonna be so dave is on the phone adrian is live in studio so i'll try to direct my questions directly to each one of you and first we like to start off with our interviews by finding out a little bit about those backgrounds so as i mentioned dave you were national commander of dav before that though i believe you served in our united states military as well is that true and can you tell us a little bit about your service
2: sure yeah i uh i started in the army uh did four years and uh Korea uh, and then 9th Infantry Division in Fort Lewis, uh, Washington, and then got out, transferred over to the Coast Guard. Coast Guard was just starting its uh, rescue swimmer program at the time, so I was the first class to go down to rescue swimmer school in Pensacola before they had their their own school and uh, did that for 17 years, um, a helicopter rescue swimmer, and uh, developed a bacteria infection uh, through my sinuses uh septic, got gangrene lost my limbs uh in 97 summer of 97 and uh so uh, uh my wife uh really had followed me into the service uh well, i met her in san francisco and uh we were married 10 years before i get, became sick and uh so she's been taking care of me for 20 years really 30 years but <laughs> you know a 20 years since i've been disabled
1: and those who listen to the morning briefing on a regular basis may recognize Dave's story. We've actually talked to him before, and we've talked to him about uh, one of those passions that he's picked up, I believe, which is the sport of golf. Despite losing his limbs, Dave is still out there on the links playing I'm sure better than me because I'm a horrible golfer, but Dave's out there doing a lot of great things. He did a lot of great things during his time as a national commander of DAV and continues to work with the organization uh, now as he's a past national commander. Now let's turn to Adrian. Adrian, you didn't waste time with the Army or the Coast Guard. You went right into the Navy. You went in the, into the best branch of service, right?
0: I'll I'll argue for that all day long here. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background and your military service. Sure. So um, I did join the Navy. I was a Navy corpsman, uh, stationed with the Marines when um, uh, Persian Gulf War started. Um, Got done with that tour, went back to finish my tour in Great Lakes, which was my first duty station back in uh, 89, 90. And uh, wouldn't you know, it went back to the same unit I was um, sent uh, overseas with and finished out my tour there when I actually got hurt, uh, getting ready for a second deployment. And that's, um, it was pretty bad. I was medically discharged after that. Right. So that's how you came into
1: touch with disabled American veterans. So Adrian, let me ask you as a disabled veteran yourself, someone who is medically retired and we've met countless people on this show who have been, how important was the DAV to you when, uh, when you got out of the military or when exactly did you first come into touch with them?
0: Well, I'll tell you when, when I, uh, first got, uh, in touch with DAV, I was at, at the hospital at uh, Great Lakes. I was having a, I don't know, maybe a third, fourth surgery after I got out, uh, trying to get myself and my body right, and uh, they came walking in the door and, and asked me about uh, how things were going, what I what uh, I was going through, and um, I'll tell you, if it weren't for that service officer, that, that uh, chap service officer coming through, I, I wouldn't have known the benefits that uh, were available to me. Mm. And uh, it really did have an impact on my life, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't really be here where I am today if it weren't for DAV.
1: Were you, I know that you're married now, you have a family. Were you back then? Did you have a family when you were disabled while serving?
0: No, not at all. I was a young man uh, trying to find my way through life at that point. I didn't mm-hmm. uh, meet my wife until much later on. But uh, it's very isolating, you know, once you yeah. get out uh, out of the military, you're... You're uh, not surrounded by the usual things and the usual people.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and DAV gave me that sense of um, sense of belonging, sense of community. Uh, you just knew that people around you, when you're a DAV, when you are with the DAV or in the DAV, that they understood. There was no explaining needed, and, and that was a great feeling to have.
1: Absolutely, and we are speaking with Adrian Azado and Dave Riley, both of Disabled American Veterans, both disabled American veterans themselves and now let's turn to this recent initiative that you guys have that I think is so important and Dave I want to ask you about this this Unsung Heroes initiative which focuses on the veteran caregivers now both of you as disabled veterans and having family members uh, you know in Adrian's case you met your wife long after you got out of the military so she wouldn't be as familiar with a lot of those uh, issues that come up with the military with the VA I mean how important is it do you think Dave that we give recognition to the caregivers who are helping our disabled vets.
2: Right. Well, so my wife, uh, she gave up a really good job to follow me. She was an information operator with uh, Pac Bill out there in California. And uh, she followed me into the military and uh, and then stayed with me once I became disabled and uh, has been taking care of me, you know, the whole time long. But, you know, she has not had a job. Uh, She's been Taking care of my family and me for, you know, quite a while. And so, uh, you know, she won't have the normal benefits of, of somebody that would normally retire. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, this program would would allow her to have a stipend. It would it would give her some respite care, um, you know, with some training, which would have been good for us when we were first starting because we really didn't understand how to do anything. We just had to bumble through it and develop our own ways. But uh, to have a knowledge base, that would be good. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, a community that she could draw on for questions and stuff.
1: And how important do you think that would be particularly, Adrian, you know, for your spouse who, again, years later came into uh, this lifestyle, essentially, and having to learn all of this stuff as it goes and in any help that you might need? How beneficial do you think it would be for things like this to help her out?
0: Well, sure. So I, th- I I completely agree, of course, with with Dave. Um, when you are a, a family caregiver a severely disabled veteran, especially if one uh, you weren't in the uh, you weren't married to the service member when they were uh, in the military, things can be uh, quite confusing. Uh, you kind of have to find your way through this maze of what we call DOD and VA, and uh, this program helps not only surround this family caregiver with a community or a care team that knows how to help, can help them navigate through these uh, really confusing and, and at times very um, very um, um, uh, troubled waters, but it, it also gives them a sense of uh, direction, it gives them the confidence uh, to be a family caregiver uh, of a severely disabled veteran. Uh, I, I think uh, Dave Riley had, had mentioned earlier that uh, you know that Yvonne had been his caregiver for the better part of thirty decades. Right. And you know, and that's that's really the big difference right now. Your listeners may or may not know, but VA's caregiver program uh, was stood up back in 2010, 2011, and it only serves a portion of the family caregivers out there in the United States. Right. And uh, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get all. Uh, caregivers of all severely injured veterans eligible for this program. Because as Dave said, this program has many fantastic things. It educates a caregiver not only about the things that they need to look out for themselves, but things that they need to look out for their veteran as well. Uh, it helps them to plan financially, helps them plan their, their income security in future. And really, uh, it helps them be the caregiver for that veteran for much longer, I think. When you're supported in your role as a family caregiver, you can do that for much longer. And the worry here, uh, Eric, is that so many more uh, veterans who are not in this program and their caregivers have been doing this for such a long time we are worried that they're burning their candles at both ends. And uh, when that day comes, uh, all too soon, it's going to cost the government, we think, a lot more than it would be otherwise had they been in this program being supported in the first place. Mm.
1: And is that line of demarcation, and I'm going to guess here based on some people that we've talked to uh, previously, including some who are featured on the website, unsungheroesinitiative.org, like the Corneans, Alexis and Jason Corneem where there was this kind of line in the sand that was uh, an important day in American history, September 11th, 2001. If you got out on September 10th, 2001, you were not eligible for the same benefits as someone who got out on September 11th, 2001
0: or after basically
1: is that our big concern here the, that that demarcation between the post 9/11 and pre 9/11 veterans
0: well certainly uh, and dave i think spoke quite eloquently about this and 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 um, his wife having um, no supports very little supports if any and yes you know we don't believe our organization does not believe that a certain date and time should preclude any service disabled veteran from any benefits that they're otherwise entitled to we we think all veterans who served put their hand up themselves on the line in their lives and their families as well uh, should be equally deserving uh, regardless of a, of a date. And you know, Eric, that like I said, uh, 40, about, uh, about 80% of all family caregivers in this country that are not eligible for these programs are those before 9 11. Mm. And there are, uh, you know, by far a lot of frail elderly veterans there and their, and their wives yep. or husbands are also. Uh, frail elderly, and and they really need this help. Not tomorrow, today, yesterday. Mm. They they are in need for these services, and and we really think that Congress should step up, like they did for post 911 veterans, and say, you know what, we are going to honor our our uh, commitment to you, uh, those that have served before September 11, and uh, and show that commitment by passing this bill that would that would fix the inequity in the eligibility for this program.
1: Right. And Dave, when you think about that inequity and and again, on that that date, which we I I think people understand that there was good intention behind the post 9-11 demarcation. But I think people forgot about people like you, like Dave Riley and like his his wife and forgot about the people who served before that time, were injured in various ways, were disabled. Uh, how important do you think it is, Dave, that we get the same care available to those veterans who served uh, just as honorably and just as importantly before September 11th?
2: Right. I mean, well, 9-11 is a very important date in our history, but, uh, you know, the, the vets that served, you know, we'll take the VSTOM vets, for, for example. Uh, you know, they, were, they had a slap in the face when they came home uh, and, and really didn't get the welcome. And now it's a slap in the face to them to not be eligible for this program. And so, uh, you know, so many people that have served so many years, uh, to, you know, for this country to, to continue, uh, the way it is and for, to, to to slap them in the face because of some arbitrary date, it just, it doesn't make sense.
1: It absolutely does. And we're speaking with Dave Riley and Adrian Adizado, both from the Disabled American Veterans. Dave is a previous national commander and Adrian is the current deputy national legislative director for DAV. And we're talking about this Unsung Heroes initiative, which is something that I think a lot of veterans can get behind But I think also a lot of veterans don't know a lot about, and they don't know the specifics of. And again, if you go to the website, unsungheroesinitiative.org, you can find out some more of the stats and information on there. You can see some great videos. You can see a video focusing on Dave and his wife and what they have to go through. But. Adrian, I want to ask you about this this report that you guys have that that talks about the costs and the differences and why you think it makes sense. Why DAV thinks it makes sense to take care of these caregivers. Can you tell us just a little bit more about
0: that? Sure. Well, so I'll give you a good example. You know, when when we uh, the area that I work in, which is Capitol Hill inside the Beltway, um a I'm lot sorry. Of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. So when 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 we talk to policymakers about um, the national policy with regards to an issue, in this case, caregivers, one of the things that always comes to mind is how much it's going to cost, right? So when we look at the actual caregiver program today and, and we and and we try and estimate how much it's going to cost for uh, those caregivers that are in the program today to become eligible for it and participate, we're roughly talking about $36,000, $37,000 a year. Mm. Uh, if you look at the average cost for a nursing home, and... And we're looking at about uh, a little over a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. You could you could take care of a couple of caregivers, if not more, in the program for each nursing home uh, stay for a veteran. And the reason why we use that number is because if these caregivers weren't here, mm-hmm. Dave can I'm sure can speak uh, very eloquently about this. They would indeed find themselves in a in a in a situation where they'll have to be in a nursing home and someplace they don't want to be in the first place. Not to right. say that nursing homes aren't great, but Uh, if you had a family caregiver um, who can do the job and do the job well and be supported in that role, I think we can not only save uh, this government money, but we can also honor the commitment to these veterans and also take care of those folks, those uh, wives, daughters, parents uh, who are taking care of our nation's uh, disabled veterans. And that kind of um, uh, discussion with policymakers goes over very well. I we I I want to be clear to your listeners though that the post 9/11 demarcation wasn't a it was a conscious uh, decision in that the immediate need at the time really were were for those severely injured veterans who were coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. I don't know if you remember not too long ago we were talking about how these service members were surviving uh such devastation where in previous wars they probably wouldn't. Yeah. And so we really were talking about a a different uh, kind of population that our country was not very well prepared to meet. And those family caregivers bore an extraordinary burden Mm. uh, at that uh, time and place. And we try and remind members of Congress about that, that the commitment was there and there was a recognition. But we try and do ask them, like we're asking now through our website, unsungheroesinitiative.org, for them to maintain that commitment, to speak to it. If your listeners go to this website and they want to take action, they can take action through our website. There is a take action uh, section, and they can actually contact a member of Congress and let them know, look, I think this is important for our nation as your constituent, and I hope you honor that commitment by expanding access to the to the VA caregiver program.
1: It's interesting that you mention the, the survival rate of injuries that previously would have been Uh, Mortal wounds, essentially, for our disabled veterans making it home from Iraq and Afghanistan. Historically, if you go back, if you took modern medicine and went back to the Civil War, the death rate would be, as a a history fan myself, and having read these theoretical papers on that, it would have cut it by like 80% if we had the modern medical technology. But, you know, even back then, we had people who had to take care of our veterans, who lost limbs, those who lost sight, those who lost so many other things. And those caregivers need to be supported, by the community, by the veteran community, by the government, by everyone, really. And Dave, I wanted to ask you a question, and that is, you know, as we talk about this, as a pre-9-11 disabled veteran yourself, you told us our story, uh, your previous appearance on the show, you told us this morning, uh, a bacterial infection leading to the loss of your limbs, your wife taking care of you for over three decades. Uh, It's probably a difficult question, but Dave Riley, where would you be today without your wife?
2: Oh, I can guarantee that I would not be here. <laughs> you know, uh it was uh it was rough to to kind of go through this uh things that I had to go through after I was in, injured. Um you know, about 8 years after I lost my limbs, uh depression took a while to hit me and uh so DAV was still there. They recognized that I was having problems and sent me to the Winter Sports Clinic out in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, joint DAV, VA event. And uh, that's what really turned me around, got me pointed in the right direction. Uh, but you know, the, the, just the quality of life would not be there if I had not been able to stay with my wife. And if I was in some facility, uh, I don't think that I would have lasted as long as I have. Um, you know, it's just, uh, the closeness and the love that, uh, and, and you know you get in the routine where it becomes very easy to get things done very quickly uh you know where if you're getting a new person to take care of you every day or even the same person it take it takes a while to develop that uh you know kind of rapport and and uh, just comfort level uh to do the things that they have to do and uh, it's so much better with my wife doing them uh you know and she, she can tell you that you know, it has been hard on her, too. She's really gone through a lot. Uh, You know, we've had to do it without the support of, uh, you know, what could have been there, uh, you know, just because of some arbitrary date. And uh, so, we're trying to get this done. You know, right now, there's only about 22,000 people in the caregiver program out of the 5.5 million that are eligible or could be eligible for it. So, uh, we're trying to to help the the larger number of people right now,
1: Adrian. How do we change this, and how do we let everyone who's eligible for it also let them know if they if it does change? I mean, that that's a large number going from what it did what did Dave just say twenty thousand to a couple million. I mean, that's that's a significant increase. So, what are the next steps? I guess
0: sure. So, um, as you may know, uh, and I'm sure Dave knows this, he he tracks us uh, very uh, very closely. Uh, last Wednesday, uh, the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee passed a bill that included a provision that would expand access uh, to the VA caregiver program for uh, all veterans um, that were injured before 9-11, and it does this in a phased-in approach, and And we think that's quite reasonable because we don't want to shock the system. I mean, it's a lot of caregivers to be coming in uh, to a single program for uh, for the Department of Veterans Affairs. So we want to make sure we do this cautiously and we do this uh, thoughtfully. And uh, and so we see the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee a- uh, acting. We would like to see the Senate chamber pass this bill. And uh, equally important, we'd like to see some action on the House side. Hmm. The, the House Veterans Affairs Committee has uh, held a round table to talk about these issues, but they have not had a legislative hearing or passed a bill out of committee which, as you know, is really, uh, for all intents and purposes, required to get a bill passed through the House chamber itself. Uh, So what we are asking is for anybody who uh, feels so strongly about supporting uh, veterans and their family caregivers to contact their member of Mm -hmm. Congress. Uh, Some of your listeners may already have that information. If they don't, they can go to our website, www.unsungheroesinitiative.org. Go to the Take Action Center. All they need to do is put in their zip code, right. and, and our website will find them their elected representatives that they need to contact. But they really need to hear from them. If they don't hear from your listeners, uh, they won't think this, this uh, is an important enough issue for them to act on. This is
1: kind of the type of thing where I think the only reason that we're here talking about it is because more people don't know about it. If more people knew about it, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a a politician who would say, "Eh, forget about the caregivers of uh, our disabled veterans." That's a really uh, that would be a very unpopular stance for someone to take. I don't think there are any people taking that stance, but the uh, the the lack of knowledge on this issue is really the biggest thing. Again, we think first of our caregivers of those who came back uh, different from Iraq and Afghanistan, and we forget about those previously, those who might've been in the first Gulf War, those who might've been like Alexis Corneen, who's joined us here on the show before, serving in the Coast Guard stateside when she suffered a traumatic brain injury on duty. Um, The more people that know about this, I think the more likely we are to see change as far as the support offered to our caregivers. And DAV, Disabled American Veterans, is working hard to ensure that that kind of spotlight is shown on this issue. And I want to thank Adrian Adesato, Deputy National Legislative Director and Navy veteran for joining us on the show, as well as Dave Riley, former National Commander of DAV. Dave, Adrian, I want to thank both of you so much for coming on today. It's been great talking to you.
0: Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Clock at
2: four. Doncic.